0: tense negotiations and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. From politics to angel investing, Randy Thompson has blazed a colorful path. His many years in early stage finance earned him the 2018 Angel Investor of the Year Award by the National Angel Capital Organization. Now what I like about this interview is that Randy really just tells it as it is. Our discussion meanders, but it is an entertaining look at early stage financing. For example, Randy speaks from experience that it's usually not the investors that suck, it's likely your deal that sucks. So why is that? We dig into how entrepreneurs can and need to be competitive when compared to other deals on the international stage. You'll also hear about how he approaches building investable deals. This preparation is crucial for building and setting yourself apart from the rest. We didn't get deep into academic quant talk, but Randy's provided access to some of the materials he's created for helping value your deal, calculate dilution, and position yourself to be a hot candidate when seeking investor dollars. That info is going to be available in the show notes. And if anyone's offended by a few four-letter words, perhaps pass on this one. Otherwise, enjoy the show. On the line, I have Randy Thompson. Randy, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
1: Glad to be here. I love doing these things and, you know, just a banter back and forth on a good podcast with a good host is always a lot of fun. So looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, this will be good. This will be good. So for the listeners, what, what I'd like to start off with is a bit of a... Uh, an elevator pitch by yourself, and you've got a few things going on, and I mean that's a, an understatement. But you've got Valhalla Private Capital and Old Kent Road Financial, uh, and I'm sure a slew of other things. So I'd love to hear uh, hear your elevator pitch on it.
1: Yeah, right now Valhalla Private Capital is the uh, the culmination of you know 15 years of being in startup ecosystem. As an as a entrepreneur, as a community developer, uh, as an investor, and we're trying to brought all those pieces together inside of Valhalla, and and then one of the things we found as we were doing investing is that um, the more that you can control the process or be involved in rounds, we found out it wasn't good enough just to run formal angel groups, which we'll talk about. Uh, We we created funds around what we're doing, and and one of them has been highly successful is uh, Old Kent Road Financial, which has been a venture debt fund, mainly um, helping Canadian uh, entrepreneurs against their shred credits or their IRAPs or their STTCs. And, and uh, investors are super happy with it as well. We've gone from, uh, it's a three-year-old fund, and we started with $3.5 under management. And today, as we're talking, we just crossed $51 million. So it's a highly successful model for both the entrepreneurs we've been helping as well as the investors. And that's just one of one of six funds that we participate with under the Valhalla cap. And I guess the only other thing I'm allowed to do, like now that I've actually started being involved with partners, it's like you can't just run off and do whatever you want uh, whenever you see a new bright shiny penny. Uh, the only thing I added to that mix is uh, Jason Neal, who's my partner in Old Kent Road, uh, and myself. We went and got a little crazy and got involved in an English football club. So we own a a minority interest in a club called Peterborough United. So that's, uh, th- those are my three business interests, and I'm trying to keep it to a dull roar and, 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 and cower within the lines finally, which, uh, which has not been something I've done very well with my career. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: in, in looking up, and as, as we discussed in earlier, your, your, your bio is, is uh, multifaceted. Um, the question I had is, where did you get started? And what got you into the world of angel investing
1: it's crazy uh like you know i don't know I, I love these interviews now. you know talk to your twenty year old self right uh, I've, i I love going the other way if if your twenty year old self could imagine your fifty year old self like there's no way twenty year old Randy Thompson would have thought i 'm going to become a corporate finance geek there's just no way that was going to happen i was I was in political sciences at UBC, taking an English lit minor. Like basically I was wasting my time on the West coast if we're being blunt. And, and I thought I was getting my undergrad. I was going to go be a youth pastor, if you can believe it. So, so for me, the right turns from that is just phenomenal. I ended up coming to Alberta and living in, in that province, finishing my undergrad there and, and the political science degree, I actually got a job, which is phenomenal. I ended up in the in the Alberta legislature as the uh, chief of staff for the technology minister right out of out of university. And and so that is that's where that whole tech ecosystem passion came out of was actually out of my first job in politics where I got to see what was going on, you know, and and it's not just western Canada like I think every region in the world I've worked in now you see the same thing like there's just a so so sole focus or sole reliance on one part of the economy whether it's real estate or you know in Alberta where i live it's oil and gas or in you know Saskatchewan another part of canada it's agriculture or you know even in when we were i was just in vietnam last week and there's such a reliance on low cost manufacturing and so for me to be involved in a part of the economy that everybody talked about diversification and want to keep our smart people and we want to really focus on innovation and big ideas and you know how ha- you know build the next unicorn now you know unicorn's a new word but back then in the early 90s that was our focus and and i really enjoyed it i really loved being part of that and when i got out of politics it was still something i wanted to keep involved in i thought i was going to go do ecosystem development as either an neck dev officer for a city or for province or, or even, you know, work, work in an industry group. And my best friend said to me, you know, what we really should do is we should just start a tech company and, you know, typical 20, I think we were 24 at the time, maybe 25. I'd been in politics three, three years, maybe 26, I guess, 26. And we're drinking beer, watching hockey. And I said, sure, we should do that. That sounds great. Seems like a good business plan. It seems like a good a good idea. I literally took 15 seconds to decide to go into entrepreneurship. Like, it was just a throwaway, yeah, we should do this. But my buddy, I, and i got to give a shout-out to him, his, his name's Lonnie McLean, and he's gone on and he's had a great career on the West Coast. Um, he's a great guy that you'd probably want to interview at some point. One of the founders of Layer 7 Technologies, founder with me of Alberta Supernet. Like, the guy just, you know, just keeps hitting it out of the park. Uh, Lonnie doesn't do things where it's like, yeah, sure. Like, and it was a week later, it might've been a couple days later. Lonnie comes back to me and he says, you owe me a thousand bucks. And I go, what the hell? And he had gone and he talked to a, f- a lawyer friend of ours and he'd subleased office space for a year for two grand a month. And <laughs> he'd signed and I go, what's this? He says, well, I didn't even talk to you about this. I just knew that, uh, you know, if, if I don't have your attention, you just kind of kind of float your way into the decision. I said, but now you have an office space and you owe me a thousand bucks. So you better show up for work on Monday. And we that's we, <laughs> uh, literally how Alberta Supernet started was that, uh, you know, my passionate, uh, want to be self-employed partner and me got together and we, and, and we were lucky. We ran, you know, what's commonly known now as the, uh, Has the uh, lean startup methodology, where we didn't actually we didn't pick the business, we let the business pick us. Like we really did a customer focus. What are people going to buy? You know, how hard would it be to start? You know, how much capital are we going to need? And literally, after six months of sitting in these two office desks, we literally had seen the emergence of internets, where only university and military had been allowed on it at the time. I knew from my government days who was running the backbone network. So we'd gone and talked to them and we managed to get the first license to bring the great unwashed is what we called them at the time onto the internet. So you know, Al Gore was at the time calling it the information superhighway. That's how far back we are in the old pioneer days of the internet. Wow. And Lonnie and I yeah, Lonnie and I started the first internet service provider in Alberta. Called Alberta Supernet, and we had a five-day first-mover advantage between before three other groups had their license, and uh, and that's the beginning of the shit show, uh, and I mean that sincerely. Like uh, we were growing 35% a month, we had no cash, we couldn't get Visa cards. It was it was just a startup, you know, destructo model. And again, people think of the internet right now as something really cool, but you have to think back then, you know. My friend, I know how old you are. I think you're too young to even remember these days, but were you ever a BBS guy? Or do you even know what that is? BBS? I'm thinking like BlackBerry messenger, what? No, Oh, I see. That's okay. You have to go back. It's probably your father, okay? So <laughs> back in the day, you'd have a monochrome screen. Okay, screen, okay. I want you to remember there was a once upon a time computers didn't have color monitors. Now wow. you're blowing our minds. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, whoa! I'm just letting people sit on that for a second, right? And on these monochrome screens, you know, you had 16-bit uh, uh, graphics if you were lucky. So, you know, remember the old in television? Do you even remember that is the first you know or Pong? Yeah, you know, still. Yeah. Oh, finally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, of you, but you barely of, remember. like
0: I'll go back to, to turning the channels on the TV.
1: That's uh, that Ooh, was. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, those are those were wow. Those were bad old days, man. I mean, this is what we were selling is the internet wasn't even Netscape yet. Netscape is four years into Alberta SuperNet before the internet goes to a graphic interface. And at the time you used to have to type in Unix code commands to bring it. So ELM would bring up mail or NN News would bring up news groups. And you know, the file keeping files, you'd have to understand Unix code. So we were teaching kindergarten teachers um, Unix code with a 27-page user manual that was done in paper to teach people how to use the five-disc install set that we gave them. Wow. Like, this was just horrible internet. Oh, and by the way, what do you think the chances are the internet was up 100% of the time, all the time?
0: Oh, yeah, I think it's quite you know quite the opposite. You got a 2% Absolutely. Run yeah
1: yeah exactly so you've got a customer service department that hey my internet's not working um billing was hell because there's no such thing as e-commerce or interact transactions we're doing paper invoices we're collecting checks for 30 bucks like you know i think even now when people tell startup stories and you think even maybe uber in the first days i still think Uber's startup was still easier than what what you know what we went through uh, no shot to garrett camp and team but um you know it's it's just there are startups where people have no clue what you're talking about and that's what we were doing at the time so so that was my that was my first uh entrepreneur experience and and we ended up uh doing okay i'll say that we we stumbled to the finish line uh, fell on our knees and rolled ba- across the finish line using you know using our face uh it was not a graceful exit uh but we had what was called an exit um so I then was able to get some experience doing the the whole m and a thing which is which is the whole thing under un, unto itself as well and after a couple of more entrepreneur th- uh endeavors uh worked with a guy we had a ferry boat on the west coast um we had, uh, I had Peter Gabriel, the rock star is, I had his digital media rights for North America that became a company called Hyperpass Entertainment. And we, uh, we ran, you know, executive producer for online content for a couple of years. So I kept in the entrepreneur space for, for probably a decade, but in 2003, I got, I got really passionate about solving a different problem. Like I just realized how hard it was to raise capital as an entrepreneur and I was one of those entrepreneurs that believed it was the investor's fault for not understanding tech. Like if they just understood that what the internet could have done, we we could have raised money like nothing. And I ended up back with my public sector colleagues, uh, you know, back in the day, again, before your time in Alberta, you know, we had one party that ran the government for, you know, since the dinosaurs ruled the earth, right? So, uh, So I worked for one conservative government, and when they rolled into the next conservative government under Ralph Klein, I got a phone call saying, "Hey, we're thinking about this tech focus thing, and you used to do it for the old premier. What do you think we should do?" And I said, "The problem is capital," and they were on that. You know, everybody was saying the same thing, so it wasn't like I was the guru who came and said, "Oh, you've got to focus on this." But we came up with a model, and we called it the Alberta California Venture Channel, and I literally spent. A week, a month for four years in Silicon Valley, bringing VCs and angels up to Western Canada using mainly the Banff Venture Forum or other forms like that as a as a platform for us to show California investors how awesome Western Canada was, because we thought that was the problem, and then we thought that would encourage Alberta investors to you know step up beside the their brand new friends and colleagues we introduced them to. So. So, myself and some other uh, partners, uh, Ted Bosse and Edmonton, John Pinson in Edmonton, uh, John in Edmonton. Um, we, uh, John Dunning, uh, John Dunning became a friend and mentor of mine. He was the Silicon Valley Angel of the Year in 2000. Just an amazing, amazing man and just a, a passionate uh, entrepreneur. Uh, learned so much from John. We brought up 150 VCs and angels to uh alberto over three four years and at the end of that time not a single investment got done and we went like what's going on and the silicon valley guys said to us well the problem is is all your deals suck that's impossible like you guys are just being arrogant americans again <laughs> and 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 they said no 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 your deals really suck like they're really bad and so So we had to prove it. So we took uh, one of uh, Ross Bricker at ABAC. uh, It was an ag tech company. It had won deal of the year. And there was a a program back in the day called Venture Challenge. ran across the province of Alberta. We took the winner of the Provincial Venture Challenge contest. And we took them down to Silicon Valley. And we ran them through a formal angel group process. It's a curitsu form, which in fact was my roots in, in starting an angel group. Am I taking too long to tell this story about how we got to being angels, or is this okay?
0: Well, I, I'm curious about it because I mean, it it really does form form the foundation of what you're doing, and and yeah. I, after it, that, I'd love to jump into what Valhalla is and really what is. Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, it's really cool because all of this actually does lead to you know that that ten years of looking at ecosystem development and and shitty deal flow and yeah. building an angel group that you actually get to do. So you're right; all of that did form the context so we you know just the last story is we took this guy down this company i won't even name it and there was 20 companies applying that month for four spots to pitch in an angel group like we're not even talking some you know we're not talking like demo or tech crunch or something major we're talking about just getting into one measly little angel group in silicon valley and our company came 16th out of 20 like it wasn't even close to ever getting a chance to be on stage and that was our best deal. And and so that actually, uh, Corey, has really formed the basis of our angel thinking here and what we've actually taken around the world is that most of the deals in a place where entrepreneurs have no experience suck. And it has nothing to do with how good the idea is or how great the tech is. It literally has to do with most entrepreneurs have zero clue how financing works, how businesses work, how cash flow works. And so when they're presenting to corporate governance, when they're they're pitching to investors, they end up looking like a Dragon's Den or Shark Tank pitch, which is, I'm just going to show you a demo of our product, and I'm going to show you how much Walmart loves our product, and you're going to give me a check because we're so smart. And then the guys on Shark Tank go, well, what's your valuation? I don't know. So let's make something up, $10 million. And then, of course, they get shredded on valuation. They don't even know what they got shredded on. Embarrassed. Embarrassed. Actually, it's not even shredded. It's totally embarrassed, isn't it? (laughs) But I actually think if you talk to most entrepreneurs, their first experience with angels or angels groups is so bad. They think that most of those groups are full of, pompous assholes who actually don't have any money because they don't part with it and it was a waste of their time and and we decided when i started the angel group finally out of my silicon valley experience in 2003 in calgary formed a curitsu form chapter here in calgary called crits Form calgary and and by the way i was an edmonton i was an edmonton voice so that you know like uh that so was you're pretty scary. Any- it was actually you know <laughs> And I never did. I still never worn a, a red uh, shirt at the saddle Saddledome. Uh, so uh, sorry for everybody who's listening who has no clue what we're talking about. But <laughs> Corey's also spent some time in Calgary. Um, so, so when we started the Angel Group, we wanted to take Silicon Valley best practices. We wanted to have investors in Canada have access to how Valley investors made decisions. And we got that. But when you see that as an entrepreneur, that even takes that investor further away from giving you a check. We we started to tell our entrepreneurs there's there's a there's a line, and and this was more uh, prevalent in the mid 2000s than it is now. Most most entrepreneurs actually already know that there's a quality line and you have to cross it, and there's enough stuff on Google you can actually check to to figure out what that line is. But we used to think. There were local deals that came in and said, hey, I'm from Edmonton, or I'm from Calgary, or I'm from Vancouver. You should do my deal because like, I'm a local entrepreneur. And that was their entire rationale for getting a check. And an investor's rationale was, no, like, I, I've got, I'm doing these other eight deals. They're really good deals. They deserve my money. And this guy or this woman comes in with an idea and has no clue how to turn this into a business and wants me to get right a check. I'm just not doing it. And so the whole basis of Valhalla started with entrepreneur education, getting them to that minimum investable bar. And 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 so Valhalla so started what does it
0: as look like with Valhalla and what you're doing there. I can see that the the combinations there and the back and forth to ultimately land on what it takes to make an investable deal. And yeah, I think that's a question that's not answered, and that's actually I'm very Excited for us to be discussing that. But what does that look like in, in
1: your eyes? So, so, um, and, and we started as VA Angels, for those on, on the phone who go, I don't remember all this back then, but it was VA Angels. And we ran something called Boot Camp or Base Camp. And, and so to answer your question there, Base Camp is, shameless plug, shameless plug, by the way, you know, our Base Camp is literally three days to answer that question, Corey. I'll tell people without having to sign up for Base Camp, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are engineers and artists like liberal arts, fine arts. And the reason that business grads or especially MBAs don't actually do a ton of entrepreneurship or, or, compared to compared to the, you know, it's like when we do base camp, it's funny how few business grads there are and how more entrepreneurs and liberal arts there are. It's because the business people have actually gone to university and they realize how ridiculous a startup is. They realize the business principles you have to take to a startup. And they go, well, I would never do that. It's going to take too long. Whereas I think entrepreneurs like engineers and liberal arts, they go in and think the product's going to be so cool to just carry through the business principles. And and there's almost an ignorant bliss to uh, to not knowing how hard the business stuff is going to be. And you know, the first answer to your question is ask an entrepreneur what's the difference between debt and equity. And a lot of entrepreneurs actually can't explain that to you. Right. Right. If you asked an entrepreneur why they're taking and selling equity in their company as opposed to borrowing money, their two answers are, Well, the bank won't lend me any money, so that that's out. And number two is, well, everything I read from Brad Feld and everybody says, you know, on venture deals I'm supposed to go and Know sell equity to angels, mm. and and so they have they haven't actually gone through working their own rationale for what type of money they should raise, how much they should raise, how dilution works, you know how debt works, what's the penalties on a general securities agreement or GSA, when do I have to give the money back? Like these are these are the type of questions that a lot of people were not bringing into their angel pitches. Does that does that make sense? Does that sort of answer the question?
0: Yeah, no, I see where you're going there, and I can understand and and want want to get into that. So, talking about the some of the deal terms, they're talking about debt versus equity, and and what investors need to know there. So important, but what else is there? Are there other things that that you see that you want? For seen? sure.
1: Yeah. And, and for, you know, anybody who's actually still listening, uh, they didn't go to sleep on my history. I, uh, the sound bite we use at base camp is we call it the six points. Like if you get hung up with, you know, Richard Branson in an elevator at some trade show and you wanted to be really succinct about, you know, Hey, I've got something. I think you should have a look at it. We always say just, just cover six points as quick as you can. And, and I'm a big fan now of. Instead of 10-minute presentations, I think you can do most of the six points in three. And then the rest of it, we can do a, a dialogue through a Q&A. So, so the six points go like this. Of course, you have to talk about your product. But I think most entrepreneurs will make the mistake that they think that the majority of the time they spend pitching should be about that. And we literally try to get entrepreneurs to think about you know, one word, one sentence, six words to describe what they're doing. Or, or even think about it as a hypothesis. We, you know, imagine a world where you could solve this problem, and we think you should solve the problem this way. This is our approach. Like something really succinct. So number one is the product. Number two, people call this the customer or who cares, which is like, okay, so you built this really cool thing. Who's going to buy it? You know, how are you getting paid? So you know, like I'm involved in a medical tech. A product where we can cure, like people get stabbed or shot in a military environment, we have a hair clip that stops bleeding in three seconds. Now, there's a whole lot of science that goes into that, but we literally talk about it as a hair clip that stops bleeding in three seconds. And who's going to buy it? You know, we've got a contract right now. We're working on with the U.S. military. It's been first responders and hospitals. And I literally have been able to talk about my product and my customer in less than 30 seconds. So you do product customer um you know is there some kind of protection you've got with this piece is, is there intellectual property is the if you're a SaaS play you know do you have tens of thousands of users in your beta um you know you've got a large contract for multiple years with a large multinational there's all sorts of ways you protect your business but you know just give us some quick insight on, on what you've done to be different than everybody else, your competitive advantage, if you want. That'd be the third point. So product customer, you can call it IP for quick remember or competitive advantage. And then number four, um, you know, Russell Wilson, I'm a Seahawks season ticket holder and I'm proud of it. Russell Wilson was, why, why not us uh, when it was Super Bowl? And, and I love that question. It was, why us? Why you? Why are you the one? Why are you the chosen one to get this particular product across the finish line and turn it into a great company? And so I think sometimes people get hung up on, oh, this is where they want to see the resumes. No, what I want to see actually is, you know, I want to see you look me in the eye and convince me you're the one. Like, tell me why you're going to stay up for 20 hours a day, you know, solving a mattress problem. Like, you know, most people don't get excited about mattresses, but you do. How come? Uh, Whatever it is that we're talking about. So product, customer, how do you protect yourself? Why you? And then number five is, so we're looking for, you know, X. We're looking for $100,000. We're looking for a board member. We're looking, like, always have an ask. You know, I, I think that's the one time, one thing people make a mistake sometimes is they pitch me at an at an event and they're so hung up on making sure i understand the product that they actually forget to ask me for something and then you know you can really show off how smart you are and how much time you've spent on the business side in that number five that what do you want you know i'm looking for a hundred thousand dollars it's a convertible note we're using a convertible note because like a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs will tell me what their terms are, but it would be really cool if they actually said, I understand exactly why I picked this particular tool and that particular amount of money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, like that, that just shows a level of, okay, uh, you know, before I question that, they've thought that through, right? A level of sophistication. And, and it, yeah. It really gives, we're we're more interested in you showing off, you know, number three four and five than we are in you showing off one and two if that makes sense and again entrepreneurs get really front end loaded on the six points here you know here's my product wait you don't understand the product wait let me tell you what harvard uh, you know research says about my product you know you've used up all the time and all my interest to be blunt um and and then number six is okay so you know what's your plan for giving me back whatever it is you asked me for What's my what's my return on investment for finding you a board member or what's what's the ROI on me becoming your advisor or what's the ROI on the hundred thousand and 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 when do you think I'm going to see it? So so those six points you can literally rattle that off if you get really professional at it. I've seen people do it in forty five to fifty seconds. But it's ideally,
0: I mean, you, you talk about a pill, oh, it's be it's stopping bleeding.
1: Totally, I mean, man. Right that's, off the bat, there. Yeah. I was like, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Right. And okay. it's going to take me two minutes to tell you it's interesting. Yeah.
0: You know what? One of the things I like here, and I think this is what's missed, is what I often say to uh, to companies is you've got to tailor that pitch to every single audience. And, exactly. And I mean, that's where you start, as you say, don't be so front loaded on the, the product and the customer come down the pipe and start looking about the, you're talking about those other pieces. And then when you get to the ask, lean in and say, I need a board member, not just, I'm looking to raise money. What, what does that mean? I'm looking to raise money. We're raising a hundred thousand convertible note. Bam. You've, you've dialed it in. And ideally to the kind of person who can write, uh, write a check for a convertible note.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, you've actually spent some time thinking about the investor. You know, there's no point going to a VC to ask for a hundred thousand dollar convertible. note. like know your audience. That was a great point you made. Like, you know, and the other thing I hate to I hate to bring it down to bare knuckle stuff, but you know, it is a lot of street fighting that goes on in this in this world. It's not it's not theoretical and it isn't pretty, right? You have to beat one hundred other people who are asking for money or for help. Like, everybody wants something free to build their business, and, and you're the only benefactor of building that business. Like, so every time somebody says, hey, can I take you out and, you know, pick your brain for an hour for coffee? Well, there's a cost to me for doing that. And and I'm finding, as I have less time, and I say no more often, you know, everyone goes, well, you're such an asshole, right? Uh, well, you hadn't thought in advance of that coffee meeting, so, you know, like, I've got to give up an hour of something else to spend an hour with you. Uh, what's the mutual benefit? Yeah. So, so where I was going to go is that this whole street fighting thing is very Tinder esque. There, there isn't a whole lot of, um, you know, time when as an investor, I'm going to see, you know, I think I've got 15 or 20 deals since Saturday, right? And I just got off a plane from Vietnam where I spent a week looking at deals. So I've already probably got, you know, I'm going to say 65 deals since last Wednesday that are in my inbox. And I'm literally going to do a swipe left or swipe right on it. There's just no other way to do it. Right. And, and entrepreneurs should be doing that with investors too. It's like, well, that guy's an ass. I don't want to deal with them. they are a life science VC. They're no good to me. So, so we're both going through this Tinder exercise to try to figure out to meet each other. and, and at the end so, of the day, within two minutes, I had to decide whether I like you and you decide whether you like me. And then we figure out if we're going to have another 10 minutes together or not.
0: So, so what, what kind of snappy responses can somebody make in their in their uh, reaching out to you? I mean, if you got 60 deals in your inbox there, how, how can somebody stand out?
1: So it's funny. We got two white males on the podcast going here, right? Um, so I'm going to ask the other white male, what was the most scary thing about high school for you? Oh God, I don't know, man. <laughs> Homework. <laughs> no, you totally do. It was, it was girls. Okay. There, there you, you go. go. Or maybe, maybe you were, the, maybe you were the stud. Okay. But the rest of us would go to high school dances. I hated high school dances, hated them with a passion, right? Cause you'd get like a hundred of us guys up against the bleachers trying to be cool and never having a chance to actually dance, unless you had the courage to cross across the empty floor to go ask that girl to dance, and your biggest fear as a high school guy was rejection. That wasn't you? Yeah, no, I'm not. A- we, we got that in common, for sure. <laughs> oh, jeez. I was going to say, man, I should have hung out with you. You could have made my high school life way better. <laughs> like, like, I actually think that is exactly all those horrible things we learned about high school relationships is exactly the caliber level that I see between entrepreneurs and investors right now. It's like investors don't want to, you know, be seen as looking at a deal that nobody else is looking at. You know, there's the whole thing about entrepreneurs, you know, the fear of rejection. And you just have to sort of overcome all of that or, or that's why we create these platforms like angel groups or or you know or venture forums or places where it's legitimate dating sites uh, so, at the end of the day that's what we're doing
0: okay and so if if you're crossing that chasm of of the the gym floor as a, a, yeah. as a young man mm. look, go pitch your pitch yourself to uh you know to the one who catches your eye what can you do best to, to at least make a good first impression to get through the the sixty five others who are who are trying to be
1: be that as well? I never had the courage in high school. Right, number one is first off, what if somebody tells you your baby's ugly? So number one, high school, I fear, re- I still fear rejection more than anything else in the world. Right, it, like I just have been terrible at at being upfront and saying, here's exactly what I want, right? That's number one. Number two is walking across the floor with a confidence that says, I am the one. Now, if if you're not from Canada, you don't understand what Corey and I are talking about right now. Is As a Canadian, you are not taught to walk with that confidence across the floor to that woman and say, I am the one. It's just not what we do, is it? <laughs> so... So there's a whole there's this whole thing that, you know, the entrepreneur thing is, is that type of caliber is, is you somehow have to just get yourself above the other eighty five deals that I've looked at. Now the the right way to do that though is is actually never ever ever walk up to me and say, By the way, I heard your podcast, I'm the one. <laughs> it's, it's, right. It's, it's actually the opposite of that that creates the I am the one. It is that, you know what, I'm looking for a natural fit between you and me where we just kind of have this dynamic where um, I know that you as an investor can help me, and me as an entrepreneur is going to be somebody you want to hang out with in seven years from now, and you cannot force natural fit so what i've been telling entrepreneurs to do to be you know show off that i'm the one and and get over the rejection thing is just to understand that like any good relationship there's just this natural back and forth dialogue fit and quite frankly a lot of it is you know whether you like it or not it's spiritual like it's at that emotional spiritual dna coding who are you if some some like aggressive 22 year old mobile app baseball hats on sideways walks up to me with a t-shirt that says i am the one i'm out like he he and i just don't have a natural that's not a natural fit for me right and i know as an investor i've had to learn i'm not a natural fit for some entrepreneurs i talk too much i i think too much of myself i i um you know, it's, it's, I'm not a natural. Oh, you need somebody who's more interested in spreadsheets than I am. Like you have to find these, these natural fits. So what I've told people then the best way to find the investors actually be yourself, which is the hardest thing to do in this game.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I mean, the, especially when the pressure's coming down and you need that. Check. Don't kidding. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, and- like, you know what, one of the practices of the pressure and the checks coming down sometimes actually just check yourself and say, the answer is, I don't know, right? Like the the investors are saying, look, why would I give you a hundred thousand dollars? Like, you know, do you know if Harvard's actually going to, you know, um, release your intellectual property and you, I don't know, you know, that's what I'm working on right now. And, and how'd you like to help me on that? Hmm. Like some so some investors are going to say, as they're listening to this, they're going to say, well, he's an idiot. Like, I don't want to deal with somebody who doesn't have the answers. I want to know 100% that they know what they're talking about. Well, That's I'm about, natural fit. Yeah, like, well, or not, right? Like, I literally think some investors want the deal 100% cooked and you to know everything and they don't have to do any work and they write a check. And, they, and other investors are going to want you to actually come up and, and your first pitch is, I have to tell you, I have no clue what I'm doing. But I was told you're a guy that loves to help putting, you know, puzzles together. And I got a really good puzzle that I could use some help on. Hmm. Like, so some investors are going to love the second pitch. Some investors are going to love the, the first pitch. Um, uh, if your problem is a sales and marketing problem, I'm probably your guy. If your problem is a CFO ops problem, I'm so not your guy. Like it's just that finding that natural relationship is, is really important to all of this all done with a three minute pitch with the six points. How's that for complicated?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I think the six points, I mean, that, that's, that's really valuable. What, what I'd like to ask you about is the part that it seems a lot of people fall down on. And actually the reason why I started this podcast is talking about financing, talking about those. Mm-hmm. Deal terms. It, where can we start there? I mean, there's so many different ways you can go about financing a company you know, perhaps if we are talking, let's talk equity, because that seems to be the, the go-to is the first point of, of what am I going to raise. What are some of the terms okay. that people need to be
1: aware of, or how should they approach their financing of their company? Okay, so I'd love to, t- I'd love to dial back one degree before, and then we'll come back to the equity question. Okay, let's I see. honestly think, I think the first question an entrepreneur has to ask themselves before they start the fundraising journey is what kind of company do I want to build? And I think sometimes, and I, I fell for this too. As an entrepreneur, I tried to build a company an investor wanted. Like I thought, Oh shit, I need money. They want this. So I better build that company. And in hindsight now, again, again, like uh, a thousand years of experience, right? Like I'm now an old dog in the industry. Um, but looking back, I wish I'd been able to answer this question is like, okay, I, I'm i the type of entrepreneur, I like to not have chaos around, I like order, I like to build slowly, I like to make no mistakes, and I want to make sure my revenues are always higher than my expenses, and I'm going to fight every day for that. That type of company is not a Silicon Valley unicorn. That is just a well-run super good small business. And a small business by the way is anything under 10 million in revenues. And that type of deal should never ever 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 be going for Silicon Valley equity, right? Or the other type of entrepreneur is I don't want to settle for small business stuff. I'm not I'm not here for 10 million and, you know, keeping my family happy and, you know, doing trips to Mexico and the kids go to private school. That's not me. I you know, I want to be Travis, I want to be Steve, I want to be Bill. Um, you know, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the hundred million. You would never do debt. And so for me now, I can honestly say that I know better what you should be pitching to me based on how you talk about your business. It's interesting. I know what type of financing tool you need by how you talk about your business. So that's the starting point is, who do you see yourself being in five years? And as I go around the rest of the world now, you know, the further you get away from that Silicon Valley spotlight, the more I actually meet people in Chile, Vietnam, Colombia, Mexico, Lebanon, they actually have zero interest in selling their company and doing an exit this company is going to become like a family office in their country. It's going to be two generations. Like they have completely different objective with the, uh, the building of the company than, than our U S cousins do. Hmm, Really interesting. Yeah. So your entire financing strategy has to be driven by who you want to be when you grow up. So I I put a pause there on purpose. People were scribbling notes. That's the starting point, point. and then if we talk about equity, I will talk about the Silicon Valley model and how equity works. And if, and then the in between is, geez, I don't know if I'm going to be a ten million or a hundred million dollar company. That's where you use that hybrid, it might be a convertible note uh, as opposed to equity right out of the chute. It, it, the convertible note buys you time to figure out who you want to be when you grow up. And if you want me as an investor in for five years, and you want me gone, get the hell away from my company, and I'm going to grow it for 40 years, that is absolutely screaming for debt.
0: Well, I'm just—I mean, it's uh, sometimes debt is so hard. I mean, if you're pre-revenue, the only options you really have are are equity.
1: Well, not really. There's tons of debt out there. What, what's interesting is, again, because entrepreneurs don't know how financing works, they actually haven't worked through what a debt instrument of 18 to 30% is worth to them compared to what giving up 25% of the equity is. Now, the other thing is somebody just gasped listening to this pro- podcast, as I said, 18 to 30%, and yet there isn't an entrepreneur out there hasn't financed the first year and a half of their business off three credit cards
0: <laughs> you know
1: i i was right so you got zero problem paying 18 to 22 percent the visa but if i as a private investor came up to you and said i'll give you a loan at uh, that type of interest rate you'd laugh at me it's it's really funny the other thing that happens Corey, is i've been in forums and i'll say how many of you think debt is a in a uh, form of investing there are people that don't believe lending money is a form of investing on a part of invest You're not an investor if you lend money. You're only an investor if you run the Silicon Valley model. There, there's a bit of a uh, stigma to overcome on that.
0: So, oh man, there's so many places we can go with this.
1: Uh, Sorry, me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> one of the one of the things I'm thinking there, I mean, it seems there's this the Silicon Valley way, and, and if you're not doing it that way, you're doing it wrong.
1: But then, well, and also, by the way, if you're not doing it that way, you're not, you're not cool. You know, go back to high school. If you're not the football coach and you've decided, you know, who the, you know, the pretty girl is and the rest of us all just follow the football coach. It's ridiculous sometimes, but there's so much stuff out there by, you know, I'll, I'll name them, you know, Calcanus tells you, or he's got a chapter in his book. Should you invest outside the Silicon Valley? I think it's got one word on it. That's no. Well, you know what? i'm gonna say it fuck off right like the rest of us don't live there
0: yeah what Mm -hmm. i understand there's good opportunities here but we just have to break away from this this being trying to be part of the cool kids
1: club exactly yeah and and by the way that was tough for me i'm not gonna lie you know i spent 2005 to 2000 and probably 12 or 14 even wanting to run a venture fund like so i've been guilty right i I uh, tried to start three venture funds. You know, one of them probably had a great chance to get off the ground, but it wasn't, you know, I hope people on the podcast remember there's some kind of hiccup in 2008 in the financial markets and there wasn't a pension fund bank. There wasn't a place you could hide your money and it wasn't going to, you know, burn in a dumpster fire, right? So it was a bad timing on that one. But the other thing is too, is like you're a first time fund manager from Alberta. I wanted to be one of the cool kids. I totally did. And, um, you know, I, part of me sometimes at night thinks, okay, well, am I actually doing all these other models because I was forced to, cause I'm not one of the cool kids or, or did I just actually get tired of losing money too? As an angel investor thinking, you know, I was a unicorn hunting as well. Right. And I, I kind of have a song bite that says, you know, if you go unicorn hunting, you know, you know, supposedly unicorns don't exist. Well, you're going to starve to death. And that's what was happening as an angel investor. I was not getting 38 to 40 times my money twice a year. But I wasn't seeing LinkedIn as a deal, right? I wasn't seeing Uber. You know, Garrett, the Calgary guy, didn't call me up and say, hey, Randy, uh, would you like in on, you know, Uber? By the way, I probably would have turned it down anyway. I didn't think it was a good business model. But, um, <laughs> and I don't know. him. I'm just saying like, you know, I'm just not in that cool kid's flow. Well, and so- I just had to own that. So
0: now, now that you're in the, the Randy Thompson flow and yeah. you're, you're leading Valhalla and the, the deals you do there obviously are very different. And and frankly, I mean, I've known you for some years now and I had a very different perception than what we're. Oh, really? I'd
1: love that. to hear what the perception is, by the way. I don't know. If the, I, sorry, I thought you were yeah, what- cool kids, man. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thanks i appreciate that but i think we did too i think we were probably delusional about that as well right okay well so and so actually the deals
0: you do keep going now, with your question we'll, like?
1: well we still we still go unicorn hunting there's no doubt about it and because uh, everybody does it whether i like it or not i want to find unicorns right i was just telling you before the podcast about this really amazing deal i saw in vietnam the other thing is, uh, we were the first, one of the first groups to have a look at Skip the Dishes, which is a major Western Canada, uh, story. And, um, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So we still do unicorn hunting, but we don't spend a hundred percent of our, our capital looking for unicorns. So as an example, one of our funds right now is a hybrid fund, our Latin America fund where 50 to 60% of the fund is actually set aside for convertible notes and debt, and the other 40% is set aside for equity. So even inside of our funds, we're still looking for 40% of them, we're looking for some type of equity returns. Out of that 40% of the fund, so out of 40 of like 100, I would say 60% of that, we're expecting four to 14 times our money back. So ideally, probably look at six to seven X would be the average on the equity deals we're doing. And we still have room for another 40% of that outlier. So I guess what are we talking 10 to 15 or 10 to 20% of the fund is set aside for finding a couple of deals that return something north of 15 to 30 X. So we're still always set up to look for unicorns. We believe they can happen in the region you live in. They still can. And every region of the world is going to say, Randy, you're wrong. Look at this company from my where I live. You know, here, here in Western Canada, Skip the Dishes always comes up. Okay, great. How many investors were in Skip the Dishes? Um, you know, I'm in um, uh, Manitoba, has Manitoba Hemp Company just uh, had a hundred million plus exit in the last 36 months. How many investors were in that? One of my favorite two guys are Raymond Zeke and Greg Zeszchuk. They were always just, you know, feet on the ground, solid guys, doctors from Edmonton. They sold Bioware for ridiculous sums of money to EA Sports. How many people were investors in that deal? So every single region of the world has outliers, has unicorns. Not every single one of these unicorns lets 20 investors in them or 50. Uh, a lot of them try you know have tight what we call cap tables so the trick is my friend is not just seeing the unicorns is getting in them so you're right i've got a i'm in the bar i'm in the bar with all the rest of the angels and the vcs and we're hanging out and there's a vip section i i personally think i probably get into the vip section pretty easily but what i'm not getting into is the secret vip room with the two bouncers and the locked door where the real hitters are playing. Right. And so I call my I call myself, and and I think this has actually helped on my investing thesis, I call myself a B plus to A minus investor. I'm still getting great deal flow. I think people see us as cool. I was very proud of winning, you know, NACO's Angel of the Year last year. So just on winning that title, you're supposed to assume I get that deal flow. But I'm not getting the secret four guys in a Paris you know, I, Gary V just came out and said, "Here's how the Uber story started." Right? It, like, I don't mean to keep going back to Uber, but it's just because the IPO is out and a lot of the stories are public. But supposedly, it's Travis Garrett and Gary V and a couple other guys who had been speaking at a conference in Paris. You know, half lit, 2:30 in the morning, come up with an idea. There's only those five guys in that. room. And so, you know, as an investor, we have a struggle that the entrepreneurs don't even know about. Is actually. No, I don't want 100 deals a week. I want in the room with those five guys when they're talking about the next unicorn. Mm. And, and, and so, so, you know, it, I hope it reframes, the reason I tell this story is I hope it reframes entrepreneurs' thought process about what's going on in investor brain. I am not short of deal flow. But the problem is most of it's shitty deal flow going back to what we talked about at the very, very beginning about when I started an angel group and couldn't understand why Alberta angels weren't investing. The reason they weren't investing is they were right. Our deal sucked. They were still trying to get into the secret room too. And so, you know, the whole the whole Valhalla thing, you know, coming back to that is literally to continue to get us better deal flow, move us from a C++. Plus B minus to a b plus a and then every now and again get allowed into the secret room and so that has been our returns have been way better over the last four years since we created valhalla we are able to see you as an entrepreneur right at the beginning of our process base camp we're your first angel investor we now have funds to support you either debt or equity, we just don't care anymore. Whatever the right tool is, we we have that. Sorry to go into the shameless plug part, but that was like all the things we just talked about for the last 40 minutes has led to this thought process of literally creating our own internal ecosystem to bring you into the family as early as possible so that when you become one of those secret room deals, we automatically have a right to be at that table because we brought you this far along.
0: From check to, to exit, what's your, your slogan? Cradle to exit. Cradle, to, Cradle exit. to exit. Now coming in, and 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 to almost to recap some of the points, we've gone through the six points of Valhalla. We started talking about coming in with a sophistication of what kind of capital you should be seeking and what kind of ask you should have. You know, If I was to approach you uh, and I checked those boxes off – how should I approach you with that? And I asked this question earlier because you get hit with 65 you know, deals in, in your inbox right now. How, how should I expect to approach you and, and start to build that relationship, even if it's slow? What's the that, best?
1: Way? You know what? That, that was the answer. I've had entrepreneurs where I've said to them, you know, the best way you can start an investor relationship with me or with anybody else is never come in and be urgent. Never come in and need the money tomorrow. I love, I love how people prove they're the one. I love somebody comes up and says, hey, Randy, I see you're busy. you got a scotch in your hand. You're talking to a buddy. Uh, and there's five entrepreneurs trying to get your attention. What I'd love to do is have your permission to start to send you stuff now Because in six months, I'd love for you to be the first person to look at our deal. And what I'm going to say is I'm sending you an email today that says, Randy, in six months, I'm going to come with this, 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 this. And if I don't have this done, I'm not coming to you. I go, cool, man. That's great. I look forward to that. Um, You know, you got my email. It's in my LinkedIn address. Uh, look forward to seeing it. And then literally, you know, three days later, they say, hey, Randy, you know, don't know if you remember me. I'm the guy. We're in Seattle. I was at that conference. Told you I was going to do this. Here's what we do. Uh, you know, here's here's my PowerPoint, my exec summary. Here's the six things I'm going to go do on my own before I come and see you in six months. And do I have your permission every 30 days or 40 days to just give you an update on how that's going? Totally cool, man. And um, I have a really shitty reputation for getting back to people like my email box is full but what i do tell people and this is true i read everything like i spend my days reading my inbox i read you know newspaper articles i've got certain finance newsletters i read if you send me something that says hey here's what we're doing it's cool and then at the six months it's i get this hey randy remember i said i was going to call well guess what i got everything done we got killer traction on our beta uh, now's the moment can we set up a call you know dude you did everything that i asked you to do uh, or, or do that um done let's 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 carry this the next way so th- they learn to burn you know uh, they call it boil the frog slowly um you know again that's how you would do relationships right you don't you don't go in to a bar and there's a good-looking guy or a hot girl sitting there and you go hey do you want to get married tomorrow <laughs> and i think a lot of entrepreneurs approach their fundraising strategy not thinking about what their i call it the bar stool strategy would be right got, your bar stools, yeah because your bar stool strategy goes back to our six points right what's your first thing you're going to do to get my attention and you got 10 seconds great that was funny. That was a good one-liner. You've probably used it on a hundred women, but it was really funny. Um, you've got, you know, you've got three more minutes. Okay, the three more minutes is where I drop my six points. Okay. Um, by the way, you seem kind of interesting. This seems kind of cool. I'll ordain you worthy for seven more minutes. Okay, this is kind of cool. Hey, you know what? The bar is super loud. I can't hear anything. How about we go for lunch? Okay, that's cool. Going along. Okay. Uh, well. How about two-hour walk in a park? And now we're at due diligence. By the way, two-hour walk in the park is <laughs> okay. about like so. You know, I've got a finance. I've got a financing analogy to relationship building that I actually think is legit.
0: Yeah, it is. There, there's a lot there. It is relationship building, and you should look at it. It's a courting process, and uh, yeah. you know, and there's probably got to be a little bit of brinksmanship as well of playing a bit of hard both
1: sides. Totally absolutely and then what ends up happening if you are the one this is the one thing entrepreneurs miss if you're working that hard to get my attention guess what you guess what the street is telling you about your deal you're one of the you're one of the boys against the bleachers at the high school dance now should you be fundraising when you're one of them what ended up happening and skip the dishes as an example, we got the opportunity to come in at the seed round, hundred and fifty K. We would have been the first investors. By the way, I've done the math, it hurts. We were made thirty-eight times our money in less than thirty months. And we oversubscribed their ask by two hundred K. And so when I went to Andrew and said, Hey, you know, we want in, Andrew said, Oh, we got a small problem. There's a group in Winnipeg that wants in and a group in Toronto wants in. So they said, "Hey, no problem. Let's, you know, we'll figure out a way to do this." So all of a sudden, we've gone from them needing 150 to 750 thousand of investors' dollars, trying to scramble in to get to a deal. So you know, we up their valuation, we change the deal terms because right now they are the one, and everybody's throwing money at them. And then we get a call, says, "Hey, you know, I'm just short, shortening, shortening the story. You guys are out." Um uh, Harley at Shopify uh, founder of Wattpad I can't remember his name and Matt Golden are in they're gonna do this deal at a million uh, at a 12 valuation and they don't want any of you guys in because uh, they don't know you and that's wow. when yeah, that's that's an absolute example of how you get shut out of the secret room right yeah. You want to be that deal where all the rules I just talked about go out the window, including common sense, by the way. Investors see this deal and go, oh, shit, I got to get in. No due diligence. Write the check or I'm out. Like, you got to figure out how to get to being that deal.
0: Wow. And so, so what do you think he did right there? Or they did right. Like, Well, oh, they had a wicked couple customer things...
1: traction on their beta. I mean, yeah. the, the app didn't even work properly. They had. They didn't have an, a ton of business skills. I think you could ask Justin and Andrew, and they would say honestly, you know, they they went up through the same startup thing Lonnie and Randy did back in Alberta Supernet days. We made it up as we went right. Yeah, just and super. we got Acumen as yeah, and you get Acumen as you grow up quickly. But I I think they had like I don't know what it was like thirteen million dollars of gross pizza orders on their beta, and the beta was shit. Right? I mean, and, and you know they're they're a good solid company right now but uh like back in the day we're talking like you know i don't even remember 2014 2013 like that's we saw them super early and traction just was like traction just is such a killer thing like it just i don't i don't understand what you do i don't even understand how you uh, you know do it i don't even think you guys are the one but you have 13 million dollars of uh <laughs> Of, of evidence that says you are the one, uh, I'm in. <laughs>
0: that was the, that's it. Eh? I mean, it's like don't even really care. You've 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 shown yep. a defensible proof of concept here. Absolutely. How now I I don't I don't get this get the dishes and these other you know Uber Eats has come into it. I look at it and I go, what kind of business model is there? It's it's a it's a delivery service with some, with an app wrapped around it.
1: I mean, see, that's what we're talking about, right? Like at the end of the day, that would have just been one, one of 100 deals sitting in the app, right? But there was there's $13 million of validation on that particular app that he, that was the one. And don't kid yourself that I hadn't seen like 22 skip the dishes before there were skip the dishes. Right you know, they were either doing courier services or flowers, or they weren't doing pizzas. They were, you know, there's, there's a, yeah, there's a dime a dozen on every model. Don't ask me how they, how, how they got lightning in the bottle, right? But it's a combination of timing. It's a combination of the right tech. It's a combination of something on that app that was user-friendly, you know, that's, that's, I got to tell you, I was involved in a great company. I really liked what Jeff Depker was doing at Fast Cab in Calgary. I was one of the of investors in that. And what was cool about Fast Cab was his model was actually be a dispatcher and get a taxi license. So we were actually own the taxis. Like that was the one I, I uh, bet the farm on. You'd actually, and, so they would we own ended, the taxis. We did. We had a taxi license from the city of Calgary. Right. That was, that was that was Jeff's killer competitive advantage. And Jeff and I get along like I was on fire. I think he's pretty cool. He's an easy guy to have beer with. So, you know, like it was the combination of eh, kind of like the founder. He's a little bit laid back. Um, but he's actually, he's, he's laid back and tense, which is really crazy. Jeff an
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, and he had a taxi license it was freaking genius. Like, and then you wipe out the dispatcher and use the mobile app as the dispatch. Well, the taxi companies were so scared of Jeff, they all got together, colluded, called Bennett Jones and sued him, yes, like that's when you know you got something, yeah, so, but you know it it bogged us down and 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 users weren't concerned about the dispatch, they just needed a cab and for those of you who again who know Calgary, um you know hailing a cab in Calgary is sort of a sort of a joke um <laughs> so. <coughs> No, so, I, yeah, I very so,
0: much you know, welcome Uber into the city here because I've, I've had <laughs> many cab issues. I just, I want yeah. to throw a note there that this sounds very similar to something um, that uh, Scott Larson is now doing uh, and Scott Larson is yes, co-founder exactly. uh, of Earthcast. And now he's got yep. uh, um, kind of a ride-cailing slash taxi service. And I, I think that's going to be very interesting to see how that
1: rolls out. Yeah. And, but timing's everything, right? Jeff was, you know, the first lighthouse against the storm in that space right yep. now the taxi cab companies across north america have lost their you know their legal standing and it's going to be way easier for scott to own a bunch of taxi cabs than it was for uh, jeff so
0: we jumped all over the place with our, our discussion i know I got, sorry. Into, I got in some interesting points though that i didn't expect us to touch on and they're more they're more subjective versus kind of your objective approach of more of a quant finance kind of thing. But that's a, what, what kind of final information or final words of wisdom would you have for, for early stage companies and early stage CEOs looking to, to build their companies?
1: That's a great, I mean, you know, we could have gone what's called the academic approach, right? There's tons of resources out there. And if anybody who's listening to this wants, we have a we have a a proprietary, it's proprietary. Everybody uses it. uh, I'm joking, but you know, we have a a sheet that I can show you how dilution should work at each round, what your valuation should do. You know, there's some great books, Brad Feld's venture deals, like the Bible of financing. Like you can find out ways that you should value your company, what you should raise, you know, uh, all that academic stuff. Yeah. We could have done that, Corey. And, and, you know, it would have performed a course at a business school. And, and I'm telling you, knowing all that stuff is different than raising money. You have to, you just, you know, it's so it's, I'm, I'm just going to say it. It's so fucking hard, right? Because it's, you've got to put, you've got to actually say to people, Hey, I've given up a job. I've given up my life. I've put my spouse and my kids on the line because I believe that, people want to buy a pizza on a, on an app. That is so hard to actually have people reject you in the core of what you believe and, and what you're giving up to chase. So it's really hard to, to get over that and, and um, pitch that. And the, I would encourage entrepreneurs that it, it isn't in the knowing, it's in the doing. We all know that. If, and there's only... There's only one thing that will motivate you to actually go raise money or go find a customer is you actually get scared about staying alive. I say to entrepreneurs, they have one job to do. You have one job to do. Jeff Bezos has the same job you do. You have to stay alive for one more day. And in Bezos' case, he's figured out enough. He's got enough cash to do. Not one day. He's got you know one year or two years of cash flow, so he's more comfortable than you are, but you know the, the objective is not to entrepreneurs stay alive for one more day stay get enough for a week get enough for a month get enough cash flow for 60 days like the fight every single day is revenue or investor dollars and and you have to you have to be involved in the subjective stuff the street fighter stuff the how do i sell what you know it's not what am i selling what's the margin it's literally What we've spent an hour and an hour and a bit here is talking about the actual, I have to put my soul on the line and I have to ask a girl on a date. And in this case, it is, what is my um, sales pitch? What is my relationship pitch to investors? And I I hope it's been valuable from that way. You know, Corey, if you want to do another one at some point, I'm not not saying that uh, I'm going to be a great guest or anything, but we can do that whole, yeah, okay, you raised 25%. You know, your uh, each round you raise financing. Your valuation should be this. You know, never, never raise too much money, and plan for your exit at this number. We can do that one. That's that's an easy one to do. But I think we accidentally today sort of ended up on the whole. Here's how you get off your ass and go raise some money.
0: I uh, <laughs> well, I would I would welcome the opportunity to have that conversation. But I think this has been really valuable in the sense of uh, a very different different uh, approach or a different uh, view on it. And I know it's going to be valuable. So Randy, thanks so much for your time.
1: Yeah, well, as you can tell, I enjoyed it. I always love talking. Most people who know me know that. So I really appreciate the time, uh, the opportunity to hang out on your uh, podcast. So thanks, Corey, very much.
0: Right on. Talk to you soon.
1: Cheers, brother. Thanks for listening
0: to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.